0: Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Raul.
1: And I'm Trevor.
0: I'm a scientist.
1: And I am a injured filmmaker.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that some more. <laughs> Every week we watch a movie.
1: And then we talk about it.
0: And this week, or should we say last week we watched Greenberg, two thousand Seven. Seven, yeah.
1: Is that right? I think so. Twenty ten. Wow, that's a lot later than I thought. Hmm. Okay. I would have put this movie like like two thousand five even. <laughs>
0: It's confusing to me because he made like another movie afterwards with Greta Gerwig like starring her but it's in black and white so I always want to think that's that older it's an earlier movie yeah yeah
1: I used I feel the same way about like uh Schindler's list any movie that's like black and white on purpose I guess it like is it messes with my subconscious as to when that movie was made
0: uh-huh I saw a really cool uh YouTube video like one of these like film analysis channels. And the whole topic was about how, like, the color palette of scenes in movies, like, are often you know very meticulous. Mm-hmm. So it turns out often what they do is they pick a very simple color palette and make like everything in the shot one of those two colors so that they really pop with one another. Mm-hmm. They used *Ad Astra* as sort of an example of this. Yeah, and there are scenes that like they're in rooms that are very uh, sort of non-colored, like neutral colors like gray or brown or something, and then they'll be mm-hmm. wearing orange spacesuits kind of pops yeah and they made a comment about like how black and white film like doesn't like it's almost like the color isn't even a distraction for black and white films and like your eye is drawn to objects more naturally
1: yeah it's a little bit more pure
0: a little bit more pure like you can use color to draw attention to shots but within the absence of it it's like a more pure way
1: yeah i think that's the whole argument for like black and white as a medium at all like in film and in like photography Uh the 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 form of the thing is uh, more important than the than the palette
0: that's kind of cool i mean i've never thought about that i've always you know i've enjoyed black and white films just because i think they look cool yeah but turns out they have a function too
1: I think that, like, there's a similar discussion to be made about, like, silent films, especially, like, the mentality of people who were making silent films way back in the day and, like, when sound started to arise. Because I think I've said this before where, like, film is this very... We're, like, off in tangent territory already. But, like, (laughs) film is this, like, very complex medium. Like, you've got moving pictures, you've got uh, sound, color, now you have, like, special effects. There's all these, like, working or moving parts that go into film. But, like, the further back you go in film history, like, it was a lot more simple. Like, it Mm -hmm. was moving black and white photos. And that's, I think, when people started to get wind that, like, sound... This There's a whole other discussion with, like, how it was received by actors who, like, maybe couldn't act with sound because their voices were bad or they couldn't speak a language. But uh, I imagine that, like, back then... hardcore like film heads were like no like the right way to do film is like with no sound (laughs) and like no color right
0: what's that classic 1960s movie that deals with the subject of like the switch to talkies the sound of music or something they they showed it to us at like school in high school or middle school the sound of singing in the rain
1: oh yeah 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 i i guess so i have never seen singing in the rain but i vaguely understand what you're saying Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, the cohen brothers has like their golden age of hollywood movie they put out hail caesar Uh has like a similar thing going on where like one of their most famous silent movie actresses played by scarlett johansson has a hard time making it into the talkies because she has like the worst like brooklyn accent rough voice yeah and she like smokes a lot and she just sounds like fucking awful in the movie like, to, to a comedic mm-hmm. effect. Yeah,
1: that's a real thing. The, like,
0: the smoking thing or the...
1: No, just the whole, like, difficulty of, like, silent actors transitioning to talkies. Just that, like, mm-hmm. that wasn't an uncommon problem or concern. Right. Which is all to say... <laughs> None of this has any overlap with Greenberg, really. Which is to
0: say that Greenberg, is in the also sense a... <laughs> that it is not a silent film or a black and white film, is the opposite of what we're talking about. So.
1: Precisely. All this was in service to contrast Mm -hmm. uh, what what we're talking about, which is this 2010 indie flick.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about it.
1: Let's talk about it. Maybe a a brief synopsis.
0: Okay. Movie's not too complicated. The titular character, this Greenberg guy, played by Ben Stiller, is a roughly maybe late 30-year-old guy who has had some kind of mental breakdown. Before the movie even started, you're not really aware yeah. of this until a little bit in
1: kind of dropped into the middle of his like recovery period
0: mm-hmm. but he leaves his home in new york and you know in the attempt to just kind of like recover his mental health he goes to california to la and goes to house sit for his brother mm-hmm. who their whole family is leaving for vietnam for like a month so he kind of has the house to himself
1: what's the brother's occupation do they ever say i don't think so i it i only ask because like the house is really large like it seems like it's a very well-off family and so like they have an assistant right and so that's good context for the whole movie so i just didn't know like what it was that he did that merited all that
0: yeah and and no matter how much they try to kind of like nonchalantly uh, introduce the fact that this family has an assistant i'm not gonna let that go these people are like rich as fuck hell yeah that they can just hire this girl they like go to vietnam for a month just for on vacation
1: if I've learned anything about, like, California, it's just, like, to have, like, a normal, like, suburban life, like, kind of in the the heart of L.A., which I think is where this movie takes place. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be well off. Yeah, yeah. They're certainly fashion.
0: in, like, a nice part of L.A. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we watched this movie the first time through, Trevor, you had a little <laughs> bit of a health emergency.
1: Yeah. So this is, like share a little bit of my personal life here on the podcast but yeah we did our normal thing in watching movies which is to stream it we uh, stream this movie like privately among like a group of people and we all just watch it together and we chat about it usually talk afterwards that's the normal process but this week we did the same thing and about halfway through this movie I was having some like pretty uncomfortable chest pains so much so that it really freaked me out to the point of where I had to stop watching the stream and leave the chat room and not notify anybody and actually like call this hotline to ask like if this is something I need to be concerned about. They referred me to 911. Next thing you know, like my house is full of like paramedics <laughs> and they're hooking me up to this EKG machine. And all all the while, like everyone else in our group is unaware of this and is still just like chatting about the movie <laughs> in our chat room. And I'm like hosting the stream, which is really funny. So, like, the paramedics are, like, over here and, like, on the computer screen right here, you see, like, the movie running that everyone's <laughs> currently watching. And they're like, Trevor, so we
0: need to plug in this defibrillator, uh, unplug your computer. <laughs> I'm like, no. like, no.
1: <laughs> There's too many people watching. Yeah. But it, long story short, like, that was okay. Like, I was fine. I didn't have any, like, I wasn't having a heart attack or anything. I ended up going to like the emergency room the next day uh, just because that chest pain hadn't gone away. And they had said that maybe it was like some sort of muscular skeletal thing uh, that was giving me problems and the pain persisted. And I went to the doctor once again and they said that maybe it was my rib that's like kind of like out of place. And so right currently that seems to maybe be the case that I have like a rib that's slightly out of place for some unknown reason <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's putting me in a lot of discomfort and so here I am uh trying to dull out the pain by recording this podcast but the funniest part of that story is that I basically had a medical emergency and no one knew about it while we were <laughs> screening Greenberg
0: <laughs> yeah all to say that Trevor did not ex- enjoy his Greenberg viewing experience
1: and it I I should say that after all of that because because I really only caught like a third of Greenberg I went back and and watched it on my own Mm -hmm. separately. So
0: we're recording almost a week after we originally screened the movie. Yeah. Which is a little bit uh, more time than we usually give before recording. We try to do it the day afterwards. Right. So it's not totally fresh in my mind but I think we'll be okay. Yeah.
1: And like uh, we're watching Lady Bird tomorrow as part of our kind of Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig thing.
0: That's right. That's right. Which we should say um, just in case people didn't know that they are, you know, their are partners yeah. in
1: crime. I like that interview that you used for the pre-show where they're trying to define their relationship. Uh-huh. And it's very ambiguous. Like, they, they say, like, I can't use boyfriend because that sounds like I met him, like, last week. Uh-huh. A fiance sounds like there's an impending marriage. And I think they even say, like, partner just sounds weird. <laughs> No, the lover sounds weird. Lover sounds weird. That's
0: right. Yeah. Lover does sound weird. <laughs> Partner is my go-to.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like the safest one, right? Yeah. Partner. And you can that's kind of what little, I say now.
0: You can dress it up. You can put a little Southern twang on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Partner is like a, a really good universal term because it like transcends like gender and orientation. It's just like, it's the other person in my life. Yeah. That I spend all my time with.
0: Mm-hmm. it also just transcends like level of commitment completely right all level your wife could you know is your partner as well
1: mm-hmm. it's a very universal term aye, aye partner tweet us <laughs> your favorite relational term Tss. at film <laughs> pod i'm gonna look it. for more uh instances to like call out the audience like tweet us this thing
0: <laughs> i love the one from last week tweet us
1: your favorite religions um so we were in the middle of a plot synopsis and we kind of got Yeah, yeah. Centered. So
0: the, the rest of the movie um I mean essentially the main characters of this movie are Ben Stiller who's hanging out in LA uh just kind of trying to do nothing as he says in the movie and the house assistant that he's staying at uh Greta Gerwig whom they kind of have um an on again off again relationship throughout the movie. That's basically the main tension in the movie as far yeah, as I, I can wanna- tell.
1: want to talk about the origin of that but not let's finish up this plot synopsis. done that's it okay so yeah it's kind of just the on and off relationship isn't it Uh (laughs) from that point so uh, we should start off by saying like both of these characters I think uh, socially are super weird Mm -hmm. both both Greta Gerwig and Ben Stiller like Ben Stiller is maybe got a a few social quirks because as you mentioned, he had some sort of mental breakdown. And so maybe we're seeing the results of that. But maybe he's also just like a weird kind of neurotic dude. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the the feeling that there's both at play. And then Greta Gerwig, what's her character's name? I forget. We always do this. We can never remember character names. You
0: always do this, Trevor.
1: So Greenberg is Ben Stiller's last name. Mm-hmm. That's the ni- name of the movie. <laughs> I don't know his first name and Greta Gerwig's character's name is what? I don't know. Florence. Oh, I like that name. And Roger Greenberg has Ben Stiller. All that's to say these two characters appear to be very weird and the reason I wanted to kind of lead off with this is the origin of their kind of on, ag- on again off again relationship is so strange to me. Uh-huh. Like they basically meet and then like <laughs> decide they're going to hang out once and then like one like comes on really strong sexually and the other just kind of like agrees to that Uh like it's just I think it's a result of someone Ben like Ben Stiller's character I think is like swinging like for the fences really hard relationally or just Uh like socially and that's his whole thing throughout this movie is just like trying super hard to his own demise and I think Greta Gerwig is like maybe socially exhausted that she just doesn't know how to like re- respond appropriately anymore. Uh-huh.
0: So it's these, are you referring like, to like the first like scene? Yeah. Where when they like hook
1: up? Yes.
0: That's fucking weird.
1: It is weird. It's like it's the first time they hang out, and it it's it goes from this like he calls her like cold calls her after meeting her like once or something. It's the situation where like Ben Stiller shows up mm. in town. And he's like, "All right, I'm so and so's brother. Hello, Florence. You're the assistant. Okay, nice to meet you." And then they separate, and he's living in the house, and Florence lives in her apartment. And then he calls her, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to go grab a drink?" So, uh-huh. strike one. Strike one. <laughs> uh, and then, like, he like can't drive for some reason. That's like a a big mechanic that's, in the movie. That's
0: one of my funniest parts of the movie. His whole saga of not being able to drive. Yeah
1: is there like that they never really give us a reason for it, right other than just he got out of a mental hospital
0: i think it's just like I, i'm pretty sure the guy ha- like i'm not a psychologist but this guy definitely has social anxiety disorder uh-huh maybe more general anxiety there's something about driving that uh throws him off he's also incredibly out of practice he says that he hasn't driven since he's like left la
1: Mm-hmm.
0: presumably for years and years and years
1: what a what a weird situation and so all of that amounts to him. What what happens? Does she have to go pick him up at his apartment or at yeah. his house? And then they drive back to, to her, apartment. her apartment because she forgot her purse. And then like they just <laughs> stay there because they end up deciding they don't or Ben Stiller, I should say, decides that he doesn't want to go to a bar. Classic like social anxiety, like don't want to like leave from the place you are. Yeah
0: fierce public places and so they decide to hang out there and just like well what they do is really funny to me they they decide to like split a corona beer
1: one corona beer one yeah. corona
0: which to me is like a very funny like high school party thing to do uh-huh like two 14 year olds like oh i got this beer we can split it and make it out if you want yeah which is essentially the the vibe that i'm getting off of that scene
1: it's the most awkward thing i've ever seen it, it and it's all because of like Ben Stiller like put them in this situation and mm-hmm. like Greta Gerwig or Florence is just like kind of rolling with the punches and trying to be polite and he they're all at her house all of a sudden and he's like actually I don't want to go out do you have anything to drink here and she's like uh as expected like any of us would be it's like i've got a couple beers in the fridge wasn't expecting to do this uh-huh and, and then, then 10 then... seconds
0: later <laughs> he's eating her out on the bed
1: yeah oh man it's not even like an exaggeration that's basically what what happens like not even hot no it's just weird and awkward
0: and that's the start of the relationship
1: yeah this movie should just be called like awkward the movie awkward
0: no yeah definitely and we should say that like the the really uncomfortable and awkward tone that this movie strikes is just the whole movie that's how it is Mm mm-hmm it really one thing that I think it does well is that it really feels like you are in these uncomfortable situations. Yeah, and I think it does that well.
1: Yeah, I think maybe if I am trying to like get deep with it at all, maybe the discomfort that you feel as a viewer while watching this movie is sort of a vehicle for you to understand both of the the characters on a deeper level because they're clearly uncomfortable, or at least Ben Stiller, you could say, is extremely uncomfortable all the time
0: yeah you can feel it. you can read it I can't read Florence as well as I can but still in this movie none of her actions are make any sense to me Explain. or seem well motivated enough well I mean like that scene why she would like go along with the sexual advances and mm-hmm. then the entire movie the fact that she likes this person at all is a mystery
1: I'm kind of with you on that one I'm like what about this character is attractive at all mm-hmm And, like, there's a couple instances of it because, like, when uh, Brie Larson shows up, like, in the third act of this movie, and she's got that, like, friend, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It's, like, right before they go to Australia. Captain Marvel. Yeah. But, like, Brie Larson is, like, his step-cousin or step-niece or something. I don't recall. Step niece. Yeah. And she has this, like, friend, and they're both younger than him by quite a bit, I would assume, and they seemed so
0: old when I first saw this movie. I saw it, I think, <laughs> like maybe a year or two after it came out. Yeah, that hit me like a brick wall. I'm like, holy shit,
1: they're so young. You yeah, know. are they? Is Brie Larson like our age now? Yeah, she is thirty, so she's like, yeah, she's pretty close to our age. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, she's got this like friend, and like the friend is like kind of like vibing on Roger. Roger Greenberg, Ben Stiller's character. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and say Roger from now on.
0: Roger, Roger. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Battlefront recently.
1: But you know what I'm saying? They're like in, it's like after the party scene, and he's like, oh, I'm dating like Lawrence, or there's like a relationship with Lawrence, and like the friend is like, I'm jealous or uh-huh. something. So super this like, flirty. yeah, super flirty with Roger, and then, you know, Florence is obviously into him, but I just like don't get it. I don't get why people are attracted to this person. Mm -hmm. he has a very like repulsive personality and that's not necessarily his fault because of all of his like issues that he's dealing with but like if take any scene out of this movie and like put yourself in the situation where you're adjacent from ben's from roger and like say that you would want to hang out with that guy again Mm -hmm.
0: no he's not cool to hang around with
1: no i guess if
0: you take away all that like uh like social disorder stuff he has he he could play at like the character could have been like a much cooler version of himself make him Mm -hmm. less a little bit less of a dick he's like a, a former musician you know who's toured and stuff so he's cool because of that
1: yeah he's obviously like intelligent too like highly intelligent yeah but that's not enough to bail you out of like very like dickish behavior And we should say that he never his arc never
0: really resolves anywhere satisfying for us like by the end of the movie he hasn't really redeemed himself in any way
1: yeah how does it end i don't
0: remember but it does kind of just end right well it's like he decides
1: to not go to australia oh i remember it's like he picks up florence from the the abortion clinic and then they're at her apartment and then uh She's like listening to her messages And she's all like drugged up Still Mm. and she's like oh this is Like the message that you left me and that's basically The message where he like proclaims His love Ah, for her And to me this is maybe Like uh, jumping right to the end Of like what I think the the Character's ultimate change was I'll just dig into it so I think the, the Roger character Has a lot of issues with Letting go I think is like a word that he uses at some point in the movie where he like is so tense all the time he like can only control so much about his life it's because this is speaking as a person with anxiety who recently got medicated for anxiety (laughs) like I relate to a lot of stuff that he does in this movie not to the degree that he that he does it but he has a lot of trouble letting go he doesn't feel in control and that causes him a lot of stress and there's this like moment like where he's kind of going to uh Australia. It's like he kind of gets like coerced into going to Australia very like all of a sudden and he's like I'm going to do this thing very like spur of the moment and it in the in the context of that scene it kind of feels like the character is like coming out of his shell and he's going to like do things more spontaneously. But like on the car ride to the airport he like freaks out a little bit and he decides he doesn't want to go. And this all is like happens as he's looking at this wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man, his family guy quote, <laughs> you know, the the inflatable guys that you see in front of car dealerships. Oh, he's yeah, like, look...
0: Those are like seminal L.A. iconography.
1: Maybe you can like cor- course correct me if I'm like way off on this, but like I there's this like very deliberate scene where he's like staring hard at one of those things. And that seems to be where the flip or the switch flips where he decides that he's going to go be with Florence And not go on this Australia trip Mm. And to me that was like that was the moment where he decided to Let go and like actually follow like what his heart deep down like wanted him to do Instead of trying to like meticulously control it and that was for me. It was portrayed through like, you know, you have this man that's basically like made of air that's like moving in whichever way the wind blows him Uh uh-huh and so it seemed like a pretty maybe it's a little too on the nose metaphor it's this this like man that's literally like flowing in the wind like going with the flow it's a man made of made of flow (laughs) a man Uh, made of flow i love it and so that's when he decides to go be with florence and follow his real heart and the australia scene seemed like kind of a or when he's deciding to go to Australia, is sort of like a, a pump fake into like following his heart. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be spontaneous and I'm going to do the things that I want to do and not be so anxious about it. But going to Australia is actually not what he wants to do. He actually like wants to be with Florence. And so like when he sees the inflatable man, that's when he really becomes in touch with letting go of control and just doing, doing what he wants.
0: Oh, wow. That's a great reading glad you agree (laughs) i didn't i didn't think of it at all in that way to me the the australia scene i I wasn't able to connect it to anything that happened afterwards to me it's just like an example of what somebody with social anxiety would do that they would momentarily trick themselves that they could be this spontaneous person that does things on a whim Mm -hmm. And, and and he has this kind of like schizophrenic energy in other places in the movie like when they went out for his birthday At the restaurant. Yeah. And you remember that scene? He's like really squirrely. That whole scene. He's kind of like moving a lot.
1: Can't sit still. Can't sit
0: still. Um, He's like, oh, should we call Florence? Oh, I don't know. Should I call Florence? And then calls her and she comes. Immediately walks off and calls his like ex-girlfriend. Yeah. He's just in this flurry of like manic activity. Yeah. I think. And And I thought this scene, the Australia scene was also that. That was just kind of like him acting out in a flurry of activity and then crashing again into the reality of himself and then bailing. But then I didn't connect that to like, what you said actually makes a lot of sense because it's one of the last scenes in the movie. And then the very next thing that happens is basically the reconciliation between the the, the two love interests. Mm -hmm. So your, your thing makes sense. But my reading of it was that at the end of the movie, I was very skeptical that the relationship was going to go anywhere good. Yeah. Like by the end of it, I thought that like, it was just gonna be more of the same yeah, for and them there's going forward.
1: Other than like the very subtle reading that I just gave it, there's not a lot of evidence to show that no, he's no. that he's doing anything different.
0: Did he end up deciding to stay or not in LA? Because by the end of the movie he was like, Oh, I'm only here for another week um, as was the plan.
1: Yeah. But I, he made I don't some really...
0: illusions. He's like, I can stay if I you know, if there's something for me to do here. Right. He's like looking for an excuse to stay.
1: Yeah. I don't remember ultimately what came of that, but it was him trying to like solicit his former bandmate to like make more music with him.
0: Right, right. So if I had to bet, I'd say he probably stayed at the end.
1: Yeah, I think that's the implication for sure. I want to talk more about his anxiety for a moment, just cuz like there are, there are certain things that he does in this movie that are kind of like exaggerations of like things that I do that I really hate about myself.
0: Uh-huh. I think there's a lot of relatable stuff in his character.
1: So, like the the most relatable thing I think that he does to me is his like backseat driving. So I didn't notice that. His whole deal is, you know, he can't drive for whatever reason, but he's so he's being driven around by people all the time. And if you watch the movie closely, he's like doing this thing where he's like, "You've got a green light, where it's like you should merge now or something like that." Yeah. And like I do that shit like big time. And That's I, funny. I hate that I do that. It's just like, I, I don't know. I think that I'm just very meticulous and attentive. Like whenever I'm on the road, especially if I'm uh-huh. on, like the drivers or the passenger seat of the car. And, <laughs> but it's like so much worse because he's hasn't driven in so long. And like, he's putting people at an inconvenience to drive him around. Yeah. So it's not as bad as what I do, but it's still like a relatable bad thing that I do. It's very satisfying. If you're ever
0: being back backseat driven by somebody, when you happen to do the command that they tell you to do, like at the moment that they say, it, or like a split second afterwards, Mm -hmm. like such that, that there is no way that you heard what they said and then decided to do it, where Mm -hmm. it's like obvious that you were going to do that anyways. And then you just let that hang in the air a little bit. Yeah. Oh, take the exit right. Yeah. (laughs) I
1: know. What else does he do? I like, but but the,
0: the, the funny, just to like roll back to his backseat driving and his driving habits in general The funniest scene was like when he needs to take, I think, Florence to the abortion clinic. Was that it? Yep. And he's like, well, I can't drive. And obviously you can't drive yourself there. So what are we going to do? So they got a third person (laughs) to drive them to the abortion clinic. Right. What a logistical nightmare.
1: Really on par with how awkward the whole movie is because it's, it's now three people, one person like totally uninvolved in their relationship, driving both of them to the abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. One is the driver. One is like the emotional support or like the organizer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> is what you could call him there. And maybe you can answer this for me. Like, does he like end up driving to get her back home? Is that like when he decides to drive? Because like he, uh he, leaves the australia vehicle he like runs out of it and he's like i have to pick up my friend and i don't remember do they just like end up like back at her apartment that's like,
0: i don't know that's a good question that's our... i don't want to pull up the movie real fast
1: yeah let's just do it okay i solved the mystery it's a taxi
0: hmm.
1: he takes a I assume takes a taxi to the the abortion clinic and then he gets a taxi for both of them back And this was a
0: time when like rideshare was not prevalent and getting around without a car or without knowing how to drive must have just been a nightmare. Just Mm -hmm. an inconvenient, like he probably paid like 50 bucks to go to the hospital.
1: Quick intentional tangent here about like ridesharing. It's crazy how we live in an environment now where I went, I think it was maybe like the Uber or Lyft like CEO, how like the model that they're using for like pricing is in direct competition with not like other rideshare services or even like taxis, but it's like in competition with like owning a car, like the annual expenses of owning a car, like right. the whole right. the whole like idea behind rideshare is that like if you just rideshare everywhere that you need to go anytime you need a car, that that would ultimately add up to spending less on the maintenance and fuel of just owning a car,
0: right. Which Which to me highlights not how affordable and amazing rideshare is, but just how expensive it is to own a car. Yeah, I'm with you there.
1: It's awful. Our society is like built around this extremely expensive thing.
0: Mm -hmm. I've saved so much money on gas and coffee in the last several months
1: because we don't have to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. Okay, so where where were we on that? So he.
1: uh... It's just like this one shot. It's like him like on a street corner, and then it's like him and her. Getting out of a taxi at her apartment, uh huh, and they're at the apartment,
0: it. and the voicemail plays, and that's it. Yep, classic indie movie trope. Just end the movie in a random scene without yeah. much resolution.
1: I feel like anytime you do that, it like uh, it it just seems like an like an indie dick swing. Whenever you're like <laughs> just end the end the movie now, <laughs>
0: Fade to black, or or the or the one where it's like a hard cut to black. Uh huh, like uh like the ending of the Sopranos.
1: Uh, yeah yeah Do you know it's the just... ending
0: of that one where it's it's like not mm-hmm. even in a place in the scene that concludes naturally it's like right at the moment of climax and tension or, or right at the moment of rising climax like nothing yeah. interesting has even happened
1: right it almost like on the surface it almost seems thoughtless but i think that like this has to be a thing like among filmmakers where they're like if we just like end it right here like it opens the door to so much more like analysis and speculation about Ah. what we're doing even if like there is no meaning underneath all of it like if they're just like end the movie here (laughs) yeah yeah. i I think it's just like a a stylistic choice to like make your movie seem more interesting i think it's as far as i i appreciate it i really
0: like endings like these and for me it's completely stylistic i'm not Sitting yeah. around at the end trying to figure out what it means that they cut out at that moment or not. I just, I see films as a window into a story. Mm-hmm. And the story doesn't necessarily have to end very conclusively for
1: me. I think you bring up an interesting point when you say, like, window. I think maybe we've talked about this in some degree on other episodes, but like, good, like, really solid movies, I think, are doing their best to reflect reality and reality isn't based on this three-act structure right right it's just sort of like things are happening and you as the viewer are just kind of like dropped into the middle of this like character's very complex and chaotic life and so yeah it would make sense that there is no beginning middle or end you're just seeing like an episode of their life
0: which to me emphasizes, this movie is like very much in the genre of hyper-realism and something that I've seen on Wikipedia referred to as mumble, mumblecore.
1: Mumblecore.
0: Where it's like so... <laughs> fucking it's just against. like metal,
1: but like even more indecipherable than regular metal.
0: <laughs> Are you aware of this like trend of like calling different things something core? Different genres and whatever?
1: I mean, like, I'm familiar with, like, the mechanic of, like, adding core to something and, like, that makes it some sort of, like, linguistic thing. Yeah. But
0: I have no understanding beyond that. (laughs) I'm familiar from it from music, obviously. Uh, I think it's probably where it originated from. But now I've seen it, like, used in fashion.
1: Uh, Give me an example. Street core. Street core. Okay. Where
0: you just, like, in the world of high fashion, we just wear, like, clothing that looks like you live on the street
1: okay yeah
0: i've seen it adopted there but but anyways this movie is like definitely within the camp of really realistic movies and the fact that the story doesn't like wrap up in a nice bow enunciates that fact like the opposite spectrum of this is like movies where at the end like every single storyline is tied up with a bow and then all the characters at the end are like like hugging and they're like, Oh, we all grew up so much over the course of this movie and all our problems are (laughs) over and the bad guy is dead now.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's just a choice on the filmmaker's part. I think maybe what we're describing the whole, like everything is wrapped up in a bow is maybe referred to as like the Hollywood style where it's, it just follows this very predictable formula of like three acts A main character that goes through some sort of significant change for the better and then like everything is happy and is resolved at the end Uh like I feel like I've heard Hollywood style be referred to in in that context before
0: I remember like one of the Wayne's World movies like makes fun of this I think the first one is like where the ending is a bunch of different alternative alternative endings okay and then they're like, oh, no, we don't want the movie to end this way. And then they go back and do it again. But, like, one of them is, like, like all the bad people in the movie are defeated. And all the, the relationship that you want to happen happens. And then uh, yeah. Mike Myers is like, isn't it great that we're all better people now?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen the uh, Wayne's World movies. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I only know uh, Rob Lowe from those movies and Parks and Rec. Rob Lowe's yeah, the, same. The, ba- the bad guy. And his whole thing in, like, Parks and Rec Is that he, like, looks super young and healthy And, like, exactly like he does in this movie He does look
0: exactly the same
1: mm-hmm. Oh, that's real insane. quick You know the guy The kind of larger guy who, Where he's like, ever since I did your show Kids are looking at me in a whole different way That that's, um, Bill Murray's brother No I forget his name He's in Groundhog Day also Yeah, he's the mayor Yeah, it's Bill Murray's brother wow talk about like living in the shadow of a person
0: you know what i was uh watching the other day uh biodome like the 1990s comedy with um uh, what's his face paulie shore <laughs> okay but, yeah. but the other guy in that movie is like one of the alec brothers the one of the baldwin brothers
1: oh yeah <laughs> one of the alec brothers <laughs> the alec brothers <laughs> anyways this is a great segue talking about brothers into one of my favorite scenes of greenberg
0: oh brother
1: which is the party scene that's thrown at the house that feature that features james franco's little brother yeah what's his name whose name is dave (laughs) dave franco
0: yeah what a great scene and so just to set it up this is what so Greenberg has basically been at this house, his brother's house, alone the whole time. Uh, but out of nowhere, his uh, niece, you know, a daughter of this household, comes back from college and then just throws like a college party, invites a bunch of young people over, mm-hmm. and Greenberg is in the house when it happens, and he kind of it, it, definitely anxious at first, but then kind of like gets into the party in the kind of manic, anxious way that he does, where he's just like a little too much.
1: Yeah, I think like the a person like Roger, the last thing that he needs in this context is coke. And that's exactly what he does. <laughs> that's right. Doing drugs. <laughs> yeah, specifically that drug. He's like, I have like super, uh, super tense, like high social anxiety. I'm just going to like top that off with some coke. <laughs> yeah, Just like the worst combination. He like,
0: he keeps trying to control the music
1: yeah which is one thing
0: which is definitely like a character trait that i have really yeah where i'll be like i'm like no i know what this party needs this is the music we need i definitely have like a superiority complex about the music that i like interesting and in social situations like i have tried to like change the radio or put something else in
1: i've never experienced this with you Mm -hmm. huh it must be maybe it's just because my music we're just on the same wavelength all the time, yeah, we're just like synced up all the time,
0: yeah, but like these kids were like listening to corn,
1: they wanted to listen to corn, right like they right. were they were listening to was it Duran Duran before no,
0: that's what that's what he put on
1: what what was the thing he he put on the first c d Roger did,
0: I don't know, Duran Duran is what he wanted to put on, but I don't know what was on beforehand,
1: whatever, but yeah, you're right they they were really hard about listening to corn. Which yeah. is so strange, you pointed out in the chat. Like, the group of people that they kind of present in this party kind of seem like, how would you describe this crowd?
0: I don't know. They're definitely, like, early, wealthier like, class. Yeah. It's what I think of, like, wealthy, college-aged people to look like.
1: Yeah. And but def-
0: You know what I think? I think he just, like, nobody on the team had any idea, like, what the youth of 2010 were listening to
1: that's probably that's probably the most accurate because it just makes no sense
0: like that that Dave franco would listen to corn yeah it's a much older band than 2010 corn is so it looks like yeah. somebody like noah Bomback thought back to like what the lame people listened to when he was in college mm-hmm. and then just had them want to play
1: that <laughs> yeah maybe that maybe that was it you're right though it seems so out of place imagine like to all our listeners out there, imagine Dave Franco. You guys all know what Dave Franco looks In a
0: sweater. In a yeah. beige sweater. In a cardigan. Yeah, cardigan. Yeah.
1: So Im- imagine Dave Franco as you know him, who's kind of this like uh, modern like counterculture hipster. He's like mini James Franco, right? He's like the off-brand James Franco <laughs> who's his actual brother. I mean, it must really suck to just be the off-brand of like someone in your own family. Yeah. <laughs> but when tension starts to rise about the music james franco in a card in a cardigan doing coke off of a picture frame is like put on corn and it's just like the most like mismatched pieces of pop culture that i can imagine yeah where it's james franco asking for corn (laughs) it really warrants a second
0: look like you can't Uh get past
1: that Uh uh-huh
0: but, uh, no, I mean, that scene was cool. Like, I, I really empathize with, like, as I said, I have the same tendencies that uh, that Robert has in this scene. Roger. Uh, Roger. Mm-hmm. Him trying to, like, put on the music that he likes is kind of his way of reaching out to people. He did the same thing earlier on in the movie. The first time he meets Florence... Makes her a mixtape. Well, no, no, this is the The first time they meet, she just kind of, like, barges into the kitchen. She was, like, doing an errand. Uh They weren't expecting one another. And so they're kind of just awkwardly hanging out in the kitchen. And then he just puts on music.
1: Really? I don't remember this.
0: Yeah. At a volume that is louder than just casual music is supposed to be played at. Okay. Like at a (laughs) volume that's like, listen to this song that I put on. Yeah. And it was really uncomfortable.
1: Actually, now I'm starting to realize really quick. I'm going to call you out on something. I do remember... Moments in like uh, our time in college together, where you and I would be like driving together somewhere in your car, and like you would have music on, like maybe it was just like on from the like the previous time you were driving. Uh huh. And it was like it was a situation where you and I were talking, and then the car would come on and like it would be playing this very loud music, but like you would not turn it down. You were just like, this music is now here, and that's the priority. And I, I, I always turned it down, like whenever. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Aaron used to do the exact same thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Whenever, if whenever in like in high school that you rode with Aaron, it would just be blaring music the whole time.
1: Mm Hmm. (laughs) It's funny that uh, uh that we remember that very specific interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like being like, I can't. I remember like trying to talk over I'm just the music. like yell over it, dude, <laughs> and I would like turn the music down. I think it maybe like on a handful of occasions you actually like met me halfway and you like turned it back up like half the amount that I turned it down
0: <laughs> like a negotiation, yeah, but yeah, but I,
1: all to say like that this
0: character music it, it like means something important to him, he is himself a musician, clearly the very hip music.
1: What does he, does he just sing? Do they ever say like what his musician medium is?
0: Uh, That's a good question.
1: No, I don't think so. Hmm. Interesting. But he
0: does make that mixtape also in the movie. So like another way of him uh, sort of trying to reach out to other people with music. Because he's so incapable of doing it with like any other way.
1: Mm -hmm. Should we talk about his letters? It seems to be kind of like a cornerstone of the character. Oh, yeah. The
0: complaint letters
1: his letters to corporate america yeah he has like a real vendetta against corporate america at large you later learn that he the whole reason that their band fell apart was because of his opposition to the man like to a fault where like mm-hmm. the band was offered this record deal and he's like no we wouldn't be able to make our own music or the way that we wanted it and so therefore we shouldn't take this deal and that's what manifested in the band breaking up and that's there's echoes of that in what he does throughout this movie which is he's writing these complaint letters like serially writing complaint letters to different corporations for like different reasons that they suck uh-huh just like a futile effort it, it seems like a maybe the 2020 version of this is like it's a real karen move like yes complaining about like very specific little things to like the corporation at large
0: yeah it's funny like it's kind of a weird character trait in him but people literally do that all the time on yelp like Mm -hmm. they'll have a bad experience and they'll go to yelp to just vent Mm -hmm. which is essentially what he's doing the the first one they show is like really funny it was like his airplane ride he's like complaining (laughs) about the specific seat the button not reclining the chair Uh uh-huh unbelievable I can just imagine them too, like, on the airplane seat, just fuming for, like, four hours. Just, like, oh Yeah. Like, flagging mm-hmm. down stewardesses and the chair.
1: This is, kind of brings up, like, this... Maybe it's a little bit tanden- tangential, but, like, being a person with anxiety, I really get this sentiment of, like, not being able to just relax in certain situations. Like, you feel the need to just sort of orchestrate everything happening to you mm-hmm. in the moment. You feel the need to, like, schedule everything and plan it out in a, an extremely meticulous way. I think you and I overlap on this just in the way that we plan, like, hanging out with each other. It never gets this extreme. But, like, like his whole um, thing with riding to American Airlines and just, like, not being able to sit still on the plane, like, that's probably what happened. But there's also, like, a later scene where he's talking to that friend who has the HOTS form, Brie Larson's friend. Mm-hmm and they're talking about the flight to australia and he's like oh that's like a 20 hour flight right and she's like yeah like 14 and he's like oh okay that's like seven movies he's like already like going through like how (laughs) he can kill time on this super long flight instead of just like being in the conversation he's like how would i deal with this like really long flight how would i schedule my time during that and that's like a sentiment that I really relate to. It's so subtle and maybe I'm reading, reading too much into it, but it seems to fit with what the rest of the character is.
0: I read that as him like beginning to try to find any excuse to not go on the trip anymore. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, 20 hours, huh? Oh,
1: man, I really don't know. Uh, maybe next time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about?
1: Well, I mean, we just kind of scratched the surface on, like, favorite scenes. We've been talking about, like, kind of higher concepts and, like, characters for this whole time. So if there's any mm-hmm. specific scenes that you want to dig into other than, like, the the party one. Mm-hmm. We well, I mean, that. just
0: on the subject of, like, social anxiety, I think the, the other party scene in that movie, the, the, the children's party, or maybe it's not a children's party, but... Yeah, there's just, like, there's... three
1: party scenes in this movie. There's, like, the children's party, there's, like, the party that Roger hosts, and then there's the college party.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about the Roger one. hmm Another great... So let's talk about both of the, the, the other two we haven't talked about yet as, okay. like, great examples of social anxiety that you can just, like, really relate to. Okay. The first one is when he's hanging out with the former friend, former band member of his, and he says that, um, oh, hey this other friend of ours is having like a house party do you want to go and social situations are like the scariest thing to somebody with social anxiety you just say like i do not want to go i don't want to talk to those people i know i'll be i'll have a bad time Mm -hmm. and he like does that so perfectly Mm -hmm. do you remember that scene leading up to that scene he's like oh no that's definitely definitely don't do that yeah i got some movies on dvd do you want to sit here all day and watch movies with me (laughs) two grown men in their 30s uh-huh and the friend's just like no yeah <laughs> obviously no. no and so in fact like the and, and the rest of the scene of the party is like him not having a good time and like at being the stuck kids in party right yeah the kids party
1: yeah. yeah and he like makes awkward conversation with his ex-girlfriend oh that's there. right yeah. yeah at that point I don't know if we knew that that was his ex I think it's like a very they they set it up pretty briefly 'Cause
0: the way that she talks to him is they don't even talk to she doesn't even talk to him like they were close at all.
1: Yeah. Right? And it and it makes sense too, because I mean, like, she has this whole life that like transcends him. Like she's got like a husband and like two
0: kids. Right. Which is laid out more clearly later when they meet back up again for coffee. Mm-hmm. Which is a good segue just to into the the maturity level of this guy like he's essentially hasn't grown much like it seems in like the past decade yeah and that is contrasted really nicely with his ex-girlfriend who since being with him has grown up and and gotten married and started a family whatever else she's done Mhm. and so i think that just serves to show you like how stunted this guy is
1: yeah emotionally or, or socially stunted i think is a really good way to describe him mm-hmm. the whole scene with the them at that restaurant or wherever where they're just like talking uh is really hard to watch has to be one of the most awkward in a movie mm. chock full of them one of the most awkward scenes yeah. Do you want to
0: set it up a little bit in the context of this thing
1: i don't remember exactly like how they get to the restaurant or like what the context is surrounding them meeting in the first place but they just like decide to go grab a drink to catch up
0: uh right.
1: and then he, he i think is kind of he, I think at this point he's had his falling out with Florence, where he's kind of blew it a couple times, mm-hmm. and now he's sort of like. I think one of his anxieties is like dying alone, uh, or just being alone in general. Uh huh. And I think that he is like seeking out these kind of old relationships to see if he we well, yeah, can- like just like what you said earlier about like him
0: not being able to let go. Mm-hmm. It's like he can't. Decide to go for Florence because he's still hanging on to like this prior relationship. So like after they fall out for the first mm-hmm. time, her and Florence, like the very first thing he does is try to dig up this 15-year-old relationship.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think it's telling. I don't necessarily think that it's because he's like super attached to this person, his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. How,
0: how could he have been if if she like, it seems like she barely remembers him.
1: Yeah, I think it's because the the character trait that I understand a lot about Roger is that he likes to stick to things that he understands very fully. And mm-hmm. I think that his history with this woman indicates that he, like it's something safe. It represents like a safe sort of relationship that he would understand on a basic level. He even says like when he's fighting with Florence that he's like, I should be with, like, a divorced 40-year-old with low expectations about life, right? Oh, wow. And it basically fits the description of his ex-girlfriend.
0: Yeah, that's too, too on the head.
1: It That's something that he just, like, gets. It's something that he can understand and, like, manage his expectations around, whereas Florence is sort of this, like, novel thing to him. Mm-hmm. Like, dating, like, a younger woman in his, like, I'm, I don't know, late 30s, however old Ben Stiller's in this movie. Yeah. But Huge like, age gap. But, like, feels very out of his element, like, with her, and it's... I think it freaks him out a lot. And so I think when he's trying to very awkwardly reconcile things with his ex, it's him kind of, like, going down these old avenues that are mm-hmm. familiar. And I don't know,
0: like, it, it, he seems to have, like, no ability to level his expectation with the reality of situations. Like, she turns him down so absolutely and and like definitively Mm -hmm. it's like the hardest thing to watch like he kind of tries like inching the conversation towards that direction bringing up like their past relationship and you know how they felt about it and then he kind of like eases it in there you know like hey what if what if you and me you know and she's just like no
1: (laughs) It starts off like, it's like, man, I think that you and I would have gotten married and had kids. Yeah, She's like, really? "Really? You think so? Yeah. And then he, then he takes it a step further and is like, like, maybe we should like get together or or go on a date or something. And he, and she's like, no, that's a terrible idea. Yep. (laughs) Like exactly how I just said it, like very bluntly. Like that's a terrible idea.
0: (laughs) Yep. Absolutely destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. What don't you know? I can't tell like it doesn't really seem like he even likes her that much like I'm convinced that he is emotionally involved with Florence Uh huh. so I don't think that he was sincere in this like yeah. reaching out to the ex-girlfriend at all
1: I think that the ex-girlfriend just represents like a safety net for yeah. him I, I don't think that yeah I think you're right I don't think she emotionally means anything to him I think it's just something that he understands mm. and like one, just another form of him to control his life. Do you think it's important to you know the the arc of the movie
0: that this scene happened that he had to go back to you know his past and have it reject it before he could move on with his future?
1: Yeah I think so. I think he had to be driven a little bit to the bottom for him to realize like how to start things fresh in his life. I think that he he's this man who's kind of like grasping it. Straws of his like former life throughout the whole movie right he's trying to like Reconnect with his former bandmate who like has his own life and his own kids and his own priorities And he he just has like the inability to connect with Anybody like where they're at and like the changes that they've made so he's like Leeching off of this older version of himself. Yeah, and so I think that like In every possible way because that happens like a couple times right where his ex-girlfriend rejects him he has this like falling out with his his only like remaining friend from that part of his life where they confront each other at the party and he's like the guy is trying to reconcile things with his wife and he has a son and like Ben Stiller isn't down with that and so they get into a fight and ultimately Ivan leaves and he's like you're a bad friend like you should have gotten to know my son and all that and so like several instances of like his old life kind of facing him head on and being like no like things have changed like people have changed like you need to fucking figure out your own life.
0: We haven't talked about the about his friend at all but he's also this is definitely I think we're hitting on like the major themes of the movie pretty Mm -hmm. much on the head but that former friend bandmate character is another perfect case of that happening of like this person in his past life who has moved on and he has not moved on. So every time he tries to engage with his friend, he does so in qu- sort of this, like, old headspace. You ever, like, visited old friends after a long time? And mm-hmm. it, it's like you pick up, you try to pick up the relationship from where when you used to know each other. Yeah. So he's kind of doing that. And he's not really able to engage with the fact that his friend is now married and has kids. Like, he doesn't like the wife character. It, like, made right. that very clear. Mm. Which is so inappropriate because they're still together, like, presumably, yeah, <laughs> presumably, they got together in their old life, and they're still together here in the present. So it's been a while. Mm-hmm. but he's still carrying this grudge. Call it called her a racist, which, like, they give us no more information about, and I'm so interested in, yeah. How did they I, how did she slight him?
1: I don't remember. I feel like his wife is like possibly I want to say that he said that his wife is like Portuguese or something Mm -hmm. and it's just like a different culture and she said something that would look was like in her in the context of her culture very passive but like Roger really held on to that not really sure but it's kind of set up as like they're having issues like in their relationship Uh and like to Ivan it's just like we're having some issues And we're, like, working through it. But to Ben Stiller or Roger, it's, like, oh, no, like, you are separating and, like, this is the best thing for you. Like, totally different perspectives on what's happening in obviously, He, like, told other people that. Like,
0: Ben Stiller is going around saying, like, they're about to get divorced. Right. Run in his mouth. Yeah.
1: It's, like, how you talk about, like, people who have, like, toxic boyfriends or girlfriends. It's, like, Mm -hmm. not how you talk about, like, an adult, like, marriage relationship. Right, right. It's like, oh, that person's so bad for him. Like, they they should they should break up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how you talk about like a marriage that's going through problems.
0: And, and presumably, uh, Greenberg has never been married. I mean, so just another example of how he's not able to engage with adult stuff as much as really, he should be able to.
1: Really out of touch with people his age.
0: Yeah, it's a cool yeah. movie. It. I, I really like the fact that um, they give us glimpses into his younger life and I like to imagine like any good movie does it makes you kind of imagine more about what the character's life were like Mm -hmm. and you just get the feeling that his how would you say it like the best years of his life are behind him Yeah, when he was a musician making music you know closing in on record deals Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like maybe the movie could have easily been about the life of this musician 10-15 years ago Mm -hmm. the fact that they made the movie 15 years after all the interesting stuff has happened is like very cool i like that
1: it's like a guy like going through a midlife crisis but in like the most subtle realistic way ever like the whole mid midlife crisis is not a like a novel term like people understand what you mean when you say that and certainly it's something that's like portrayed on film a lot where it's like an old guy like buys a sports car or whatever that's like the trope but this is like a guy like wrestling with that in a very like real like doesn't isn't really aware of what's happening sort of way
0: it's super real like maybe Mm -hmm. another way of saying it is that his backstory doesn't feel like backstory it feels like stuff that actually happened Mm -hmm. it's not just coloring to this character it's like critical to the story but Mm -hmm. the fact that they give you so little of it and just leave most of it unsaid yeah yeah just really gets you there really
1: gets you into the invested in these characters do you think our best years are behind us
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> 2014 13 to 16 living with my uh, former roommate
1: i hold out hope that like Filmhole will be picked up by like gimlet or someone like man these guys are just making solid content it's... let's just like add them to the network Hell yeah. Purchase us from Laser Shark. Bye, Brady. Bye, Brady. <laughs> Just like a straight diss to our own producer. <laughs> they do that in Gimlet. They, like, talk shit on, like, the whole, like, inner workings of uh, the Gimlet politics. You know that? You no. You that?
0: Oh, no, well, I know. That's like, um... Their shows talk about the company culture. I guess they've they, done that a few times.
1: I don't know if it was they... in, like, a Reply All episode or that Scaredy Cat one, but, like... Uh uh-huh. There's one of them where they're talking about, like, how in the Gimlet offices they play, like, Spotify ads in the, the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, I remember Do, what you're kn- talking about. Yeah. Which, I've got so much to say about this. <laughs> it's, like, they're complaining about, like, going to the bathroom at your office and there's just, like, Spotify playing. Like, presumably in speakers from, like, the ceiling in the bathroom. Of just uh-huh. like Spotify stuff. Uh, maybe it's music. I would assume it's music. Maybe it's podcasts. I don't know. But they're complaining that it's that, but it's the free version of Spotify. And so when you go to the bathroom at Gimlet, you, you, will, you will hear ads in the bathroom. Right. And first of all, fuck you guys. Because like I've never been in a bathroom where I've heard Spotify through the speakers at all.
0: Like they, they have already lost me. Like that is right. already not a situation I have in my life.
1: Right, exactly. And like their whole complaint is you're making this like a, a less desirable place to work because you're letting like including ads and in the stuff in the, the podcast stream that or the Spotify stream that we're listening to. Whereas like they would expect Spotify premium. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> I got to say, I I have never not paid for Spotify. Really? So I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh,
1: I've never paid for Spotify, but I don't hear ads.
0: Uh-oh. Got a
1: hacker over here. Hacker man. Boop, 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 boop. S-
0: it's me The hacking. worst accent, the worst American accent of that whole short film. <laughs> so the listeners were referring to a 2014's Kung Fury.
1: Did I get the year right on that? Uh, I don't know. Uh. 2015. Ugh. You're close. I had something else that I wanted to talk about.
0: I can't remember, but do you have anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: About Greenberg.
0: About Greenberg.
1: The only other real thing that I had in my mental notes was the fact that he is a carpenter. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's... Jesus. Yeah, he's like Jesus. It's kind of downplayed in this movie, but I definitely think it's it's there on purpose for sure. I don't think he is like a
0: real carpenter, though.
1: I don't know. I mean, you don't really see much of his carpentry in this movie. Uh Uh-huh. Being an amateur carpenter myself, I feel like I could do everything that he's doing and I'm 100% not a professional. So But
0: but do you get to call yourself a carpenter if like you've taken shop before and you know way around all the <laughs> equipment? Yeah, I don't know. It's not like a uncommon enough skill. It's like a tier or two above plumbing, I
1: would say. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that like there's hardcore woodworkers out there that take that term very seriously but i think that there's other people who're much more lenient with it it's a, there's a whole spectrum i know? think he
0: was stretching it a little bit cuz like mm-hmm. uh there was one scene at least that i can remember that he refers to himself as a carpenter uh-huh i think it was the first party scene when he was talking to like all these old friends and at the time it just felt like he was trying to uh kind of ham up what he was doing a yeah. little bit make himself seem a little bit more impressive
1: yeah and i relate to but, that
0: When in reality, he's just like making a doghouse.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's a very uh, mundane project where he could be, as a carpenter, he could be building a whole like array of things. But like a dog, a doghouse is like, I mean, it's important and it's nice, but I mean, it doesn't necessarily require like the greatest craftsman in the world. Right. So yeah, you're probably, you're probably right on that.
0: I think that's probably around the level he's at. Like, I'm, I'm impressed. Like, obviously he knows how to build stuff out of wood. Um, and that takes more skill than I have. Mm-hmm. But uh, another scene, when he's at uh, Florence's apartment and he's uh, helping her hang up the uh, picture frame.
1: That's the last scene.
0: Is that the last scene? And he's, that's like, very using scene. this, like, ruler to, like, measure things out on the wall.
1: Mm-hmm. And it just struck
0: me that that did not look remotely the way that a professional carpenter would make those measurements. It's tough to say. It just looks like he he just like puts it on the wall, boom, boom, and it's like there's no guarantee that he's even aligning the stick perfectly every time he moves it on the wall.
1: Yeah, I did have this thought when I watched that and I I thought I was maybe just like overanalyzing it. And I my guess is that it's just a result of like the sh- the movie makers not understanding what like real carpentry looks like
0: so it's it's either that or or equivalently ben stiller not knowing how to perform the actions with his hands the way an expert would you would have to have somebody tell you how to do those actions yeah or if if it's literally the way it happens like in the story like interpreting Mm -hmm. it through the story it's him once again trying to kind of show off yeah oh i have another Mm -hmm. example of him kind of doing these Humble brag, show off things, okay, this one this one was Let's super minor about this, and it never went anywhere, but towards the end of the movie, uh, this is when the niece and the friend were hanging out. I think it might have been the day after the party, but mm-hmm. he has the newspaper, and he's like, Oh, they published my story, yeah, I know where you where you going remember that this? and mm-hmm. then later on in the movie, uh when he shows up at the final scene when he's in Florence's apartment, he's like, I got you the newspaper. I think you should have the newspaper around.
1: Yeah, he's he asks if like she has a newspaper, and she says like we should get you a newspaper. It's good to have like the newspaper. It's right. good to have one.
0: Yeah. Um, totally. The only reason is because he wants to at some point point out the fact that he got his story published in yeah. that newspaper. Mm-hmm. That was well, I didn't realize that till now this viewing, mm-hmm. but that is such like a human thing to do.
1: Yeah, I think you're onto something here. I think I kind of glossed over the whole. Humble brag thing, but I think you're right in that all of his attempts to, like, do something quote-unquote professional, like, in that realm, whether it be, like, the writing or the carpentry, is just, like, an attempt at self-validation. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then
0: in the beginning, uh, before Greenberg even shows up and it's just the family talking before they leave to Vietnam, the brother, like, explicitly said that, like, w- we... Should invite him here like on the pretense of doing something useful
1: I okay, I don't remember that, but that's do- pretty telling
0: right so they're like we can't just you know offer him to stay at our place for a month because he's like you know down on his luck. Mm-hmm. Um, we invite him to come build a doghouse and then that's an excuse for him to be here and so he doesn't have to feel awkward about yeah staying here yeah, that's really smart people around him you know his family are kind of aware of the way he is
1: mm-hmm.
0: they definitely uh make attempts to kind of accommodate him
1: yeah man that's a that's a really good observation hell yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that's uh it it almost just like <laughs> this character doesn't need to be like kicked into the ground any more than he already is throughout this movie But that's what mm-hmm. we're doing we're just like he sucks like from every direction even the things that like are kind of on the surface like redeeming qualities aren't it's sad like looking at him Mm -hmm. the
0: way people view him Mm -hmm. nobody looks up to this guy let's even Florence is like oh i think he's really vulnerable right now like everybody is super aware when they hang out with this guy that he is uh sensitive and um what's the word i'm looking for fragile fragile yeah
1: yeah let's like for the sake of the character is there anything like redeeming like about him I think like his like final transition to the man made of flow is pretty good but (laughs) like is there anything else is there anything else that like make that should make us like this character
0: I mean he seems like he's like a intelligent guy and like if he you know maybe when he is out of his funk you know years from now or whatever it will be that mm-hmm. he'd be like a cool guy to talk to about music and stuff he likes.
1: Mm-hmm. He definitely like is meticulous and knows what he likes and there's like strengths in that. But even like based on his like former life, you know, it, they made it kind of sound like he's a dick back then too, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause he's the one who ultimately broke up the record deal. Yeah. Yeah. Tough to say.
0: I think this is just the way he's been.
1: Mm-hmm. For a which long time? it's uh an even in- more interesting case study as to like why florence is like attracted to him maybe like let's the la our last exercise here like try to dissect that a little why is florence into this guy
0: i, I don't think i can analyze it if i th- think about that question it just takes me out of the movie because it doesn't make any sense
1: really like I the think-
0: only thing i can think of is that That was a relationship that they had set up on when they made the screenplay. And so Mm -hmm. it just has to happen.
1: I think that like, I'm going to like attempt to like justify it. I don't know if I'll be successful, but like there is like one scene where Florence like talks about it candidly like to her friend where she's talking about Roger in third person is like, you can tell that things are really hard for him like normal things are really hard for him or something like that right and maybe i'm just like kind of making this up as i go but maybe that's because in a a slightly different way the same thing is true for florence like florence is struggling to feel normal like in her own in her own kind of way the movie doesn't really focus on her a lot in that way but she uh, definitely, like, has her own struggles. Like, she, there's that scene where she goes to a party and she's, like, hanging out with this guy and she's, like, you know, I realize that I've been out of college for as long as I I was in, but, like, nobody cares if I wake up or something like that. Oh, that was a good line. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Which about is... the uh, age we're at right now. Exactly. Yeah. Except
0: I'm still in college, so I guess that'll be, like, I'll have that moment when I'm like 33 or something
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I like I I totally get that sentiment where like you're kind of questioning I think when you're in school because these characters had similar paths to us where you Mm -hmm. know you've been in school for like most of your life and while you're while you're in that everything is just kind of set out in front of you all of your goals and aspirations are basically, like, on paper right there in front of you. And then beyond that, like, the world has no expectations of you. And so you you have to grapple with that by yourself and decide mm-hmm. what your own expectations are of you. So that's, like, a really weird thing to process as an adult after coming out of school. Uh, and I think that I got that when when Florence said that line. And I think that that's also evident in the way that she behaves around Roger cause she's just like I think that she's just like not really sure like what she's supposed to do like she's obviously Uh like in her late 20s and she's working as this assistant which is like a whatever kind of job for this like uh, wealthy family yeah like not with any any real direction in her life and I think she just like desires to feel normal or like there's something meaningful in front of her and I think that just in a different sort of uh, wrapping paper, Roger experiences the same thing. And I think that that's how those two characters relate. They're just sort of kind of searching for meaning in their otherwise kind of meaningless lives. Huh, interesting.
0: I feel like she perceives some. like you've just kind of made like the case that they're both in sort of similar places in their life, which I think is right. But I think that she perceives him as somehow being like more advanced as her. Because there's that one scene towards the middle of the movie where she just says like I think that you like I admire the way that you don't care about stuff. Uh huh. Like she thinks that that like maybe the way out of where she is in life like maybe we can just call it a rut. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she feels like she needs to get to a place like him where she can also go through life and just do nothing and be okay with it.
1: But that's the whole like irony of that line is that he's totally he, not okay. with He's that. not okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's so funny. Dude, we just broke this movie. <laughs> broke it open. Cue
1: music. <laughs>
0: you do yours first.
1: So my parting thought on Greenberg is I think it's a very real telling of uh, someone that suffers from extreme social anxiety in ways that I can relate to a lot, not fully, but a lot. I think it's, a super interesting character story for both he and Florence. I think uh, that it feels a lot like other movies we've watched where it's just a window into a character's life and it's not bound by the Hollywood style. It doesn't need to have a perfect bow at the end. And so that makes it a little bit more interesting, makes it a little bit closer to humanity. So for that, uh, I really enjoyed it and I'm going to give it a... 8 out of 10 uh, inflatable men.
0: Oh, what did you call them? Inflatable men, of men. men of flow.
1: Men of flow. Men of flow. Yeah. I love it. Because that. he goes with the flow. It's a man made of flow.
0: Okay. So for my spiel, I really enjoyed this movie. I watched this movie like 10 years ago, close to when it came out. And I was just stunned by how somber of a move mood the movie had. Especially, especially relative to like the trailer that they
1: put out for it. It's probably pretty funny, right?
0: Yeah, the movie struck like a really funny tone. Mm-hmm. Like in particular, like the scenes of him hanging out with the uh, younger college age students. The trailer made it seem like it was a, a, an endearing meeting between like two generations. But in reality of the movie, what it really was was this anxious, coked up guy giving off way too much energy and putting everybody off which is something that I hadn't like seen movies do a lot Uh, and I think I really kicked off my interest in movies that really hit this this realism angle really hard and for that reason I'm gonna give this movie nine and a half green birds out of (laughs) ten
1: well done well until next time we'll see you in the film hole thanks for listening this week our music is by w look them up at at underscore w on instagram
0: that's underscore the word double and two u's
1: editing this week as always is
0: done by grace faucet wherever you're listening give us a good rating
1: connect with us please no one follows us at Pod on twitter and instagram
0: Really hit those like and subscribe buttons.
1: Smash that like button.
0: Hit it twice if you have to. <laughs> subscribe <laughs> and unsubscribe immediately. <laughs> thanks again, and see you see next, you next week. week. See, see you next week. week. And see, see you next, next week. week. Whatever.
1: Special thanks to Grace Fawcett,
0: our editor. Also special thanks to Brady Goodman for uh, all the help he's
1: given us so far. All the help.